Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. You like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. Greetings, this is Randy Rogel, and you are listening to Bullspit with Moose. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. Welcome, Moose Pack, to a fantastically all-new episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. Joining me today is somebody who has a, a lot of different titles, and you know, probably take more than a lifetime to get through all of them. But a couple of them are, you know, martial artist, charitable guy. Let's see what else. Oh, he runs a sword experience. He's an actor and just all around good guy, you know, and while he may have many titles, there really can only be one Adrian Paul. So please welcome the one and only Adrian Paul. Hi there. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good welcome. Hi. <laughs> How is it going? Depending on what time you're listening to this, right? Good morning. Good afternoon. And good night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I have a few titles, and, I, and some I don't care to mention, too, so <laughs> we'll just leave that alone. The ones they don't call you in polite company. Exactly. So, how's you know how's life treating you? How's how's everything going in this, like, almost post-COVID environment? Yeah, well, you know, I think this is going to make the world different anyway, I think. You know, I'm doing okay. I mean, you know, I've got a... My business is doing all right. It's... Uh, you know, ticking along, except, you know, as you mentioned, I have a sword experience, which is, you know, an event-based uh, uh, organization where we go to different places around the country and around the world. And obviously, for the past year or so, we've not really been to very many places because, uh, you know, large events have been, even small events have been uh, shut down. So it's only now, post-COVID, as you call it, uh, that we're really sort of starting to see things open up a little bit. And, uh, I guess with all the the vaccines and that things will get back to normal. But I, I, you know, to be totally honest, I don't think anything's ever going to be normal. No, I say I don't think like it, it's kind of cringeworthy, but new normal is definitely the phrase moving forward. It's we're, we don't have what we used to think was normal anymore. Right, I agree. It's uh, it's all very different, and uh, it's like the world. The world's going to change the next fifteen years. It's going to go to electric cars and blockchain and bitcoin and all that and all cash money and all that will be going bye-bye you know it'll be it'll be an antiquated system in another 30 40 years and uh we'll all wonder how we actually you know survived the use using cash and banks and stuff like that <laughs> well yeah it's so weird to see how fast life progresses i mean in like i'm 36 in the short 
amount of time that I've been around, just all the advances that have happened in my lifetime, you know, and how rapid fire they've happened, you know, it, it's kind of mind blowing. Well, really, you're looking at you're looking at something that's exponential. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it took you know a hundred years to develop you know a gun, or, or like a thousand years to develop a gun. When then it took as as things get technology catches up with itself, and it just gradually all of all of a sudden snowballs and things go quicker and quicker. I mean, internet, for instance, back in the 80s, nobody even knew what the internet was. Early, well, I, no, let me say early 70s, the 80s, people began to know what the internet was, but really, who knew what that was? Now we've got Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all, all the different platforms that people now find to be normal, whereas we're talking, what, 30 years, and they were never there. Right, and now people are having, for the last year, people were doing school over the internet. I mean... Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about internet is it's, 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 it has its good and it's bad qualities. It's got great information. It has great accessibility to things that you might not necessarily normally see or do. But then again, there's a lot of things where I think it takes away human interaction, which is part of what human beings really need, um, unless we're evolving into more of a, um, at a different non-body state, maybe. I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> who knows where the, the human evolution is going to go. But to be totally honest, it's just, it's always going to be caused um, controversy, whichever way you look at it, because um, you know dealing with something new like the internet and uh, smartphones and laptops and all that type of stuff is going to change the way we behave, and therefore it's going to be concerning to some people. I know a lot of people, or some people, are moving away from. They want to get away from cities. They want to get away from you know technology and stuff, which I I don't blame them to be totally honest. Sometimes sometimes it gets a bit much. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, it's really easy to get that like technology overload i mean it's it, it used to be you know so sparse but now it's everywhere you go i mean there's your phone's not just a phone it's your your phone's your phone your computer your everything so it's it's really easy to get bogged down with like technology overload so yeah just stepping back every once in a while and stepping away away from the uh electronic world is a nice reset to the human mind well you know when you when you go to places you can look at the extreme of it i mean yes we've seen people you know sitting at tables you know on their smartphones together not really having a conversation but then it goes to the place when you actually go on vacation and you're sitting there and i watched people while i was on in vacation in Mexico, sitting at a table in a beautiful location with the sea with them and a beautiful sun and the sand and everything else, and and they're sitting there on a the phone. And I'm like, well, why did you come here then? <laughs> you know, it's it's and they're not conversing with each other. So it, I think when you take it to that extreme, it really gets obtrusive. It gets uh, not obtrusive. What's the word? Um, it's, it's it gets involved in in your everyday life and then changes you somehow. Yeah. I think we could uh, break down technology all day. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> let's, uh, <laughs> let, let's shift gears a little bit, and let's talk about uh, something good. Uh, why don't you uh, tell my listeners, what, what gave you the uh, idea to start your charity, the Peace Fund? Well, that kind of started back in 1997 when I was finishing Highlander. You know, I was very fortunate to be put in the position of uh, being a, the lead in a successful, you know, international TV show. And so 
I always thought, you know, it's, it's my kind of job really to sort of pay back. I was given that by my parents in a sense, especially my mother's like, you've got to be grounded and make sure you, you give everything, you know, back to others as well because you, you've earned it, but other people helped you along the way. So I always thought, you know, that's what I wanted to do was actually to sort of create something where, you know, I could give something back somehow. I mean, that's always a very corny thing to say, but still. And I kind of saw that kids were very, um, excited about Highlander. You know, I'd be mobbed by kids in different countries, in France, in America, in Rome, in the Vatican, in Rome, in different areas, um, Hungary, Russia. And um, I thought, well, you know, kids are a great example to start with. You're starting with fresh ideas, fresh um, intentions, and kids can never be told no. They, they have to learn that by themselves. So why not help them along the way and inspire them by doing certain things? So I started the Peace Fund to really sort of help uh, inspire a new generation of kids to do charitable stuff. And um, so that's what kind of started. I started off with an affiliation with athletes and entertainers with kids, for kids, which, because uh, obviously signing up 501c3 is not as easy as everybody makes it out to be. So we started out with an affiliation with an already established charity, which was actually headed by Shaquille O'Neal. And, um, or he was a spokesperson for it. And after about three or four years, I then, um, amalgamated the, the Peace Fund, then became a place to, um, inspire. We took a program called School Makes a Difference, where we took uh, celebrities into schools and, and did different classes of interactive storytelling and, um, peer pressure and martial arts and all those things to sort of give them, you know, something they might want to do or give them inspiration, the celebrities you know, can give them. And then the tsunami came in 2002. I I sort of moved away for a little bit from it because it was successful what we were doing in our uh, School Makes a Difference program. But it, uh, you know, we didn't have enough staff really to run it and I didn't have the time because I was really busy. So um, <clears throat> we'd let it go for about, a, about six months, maybe eight months. And then the tsunami, uh, the Asian tsunami happened and my brother's, he was living there at the time and lost everything and um, except his life, which was good. Um, so, you know, I knew there were a lot of kids there that had been, you know, had lost parents and livelihood and didn't have anything. So we raised money to help um, one of the charities then. I went out there to actually, you know, um, see the charity and help the kids and that. And so we, we started uh, um, amalgamating with, oh, sorry, partnering with um, different organizations and raising money for them and helping them logistically with different things. We um, helped uh, some of the kids from Chernobyl who went into England to, uh, to have a vacation. We helped them with buses. Uh, we did things like build um, dental clinics in Romania and uh, things out in Haiti, um, sorry, Dominican Republic, where we built a uh, couple of house, small houses. I mean, we're not talking big houses. We're talking very inexpensive things, but still there were shelters for, for children who had lost their their homes or needed homes rebuilt. So we've, we've been kind of everywhere uh, over this time. And, um, you know, in 2012, I was actually doing an interview with Ethan Detmeyer from Combat Radio. And he said, you know, you should really create your own podcast. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, you've got an audience and, you know, it's, it's, it'd be good. We call it the Peace Fun Podcast. So we started Peace Fun Podcast and I've interviewed at this point, we've done over 600 hours of podcasts on that platform alone, uh, talking to different celebrities, different charities. We've been able to sort of bring different uh, people together to fund things on the show. So it's been a really good platform to um, let people know 
what's going on in their areas. Because what I found is that a lot of the time, when you are in your own backyard, you don't really see what's going on around you. You know, you can go to work every day and drive 10 miles to work. And you don't see all the great stuff that's along the way. And then all of a sudden you stop when you need a drink of water. You know that that 7-Eleven happens to be there. Well, I hadn't seen it before. You know, the same thing happened when I was going to school. In England, I'd be seeing passing all these great monuments and statues. I never saw them because all I'm looking at is in my journey. And the same thing applied to a lot of people who, you know, were living in their communities and all of a sudden came on hard, hard times. Well, what charities were there around that were actually helping people like that? What food banks were around? So we were actually able to tell people in different parts of the country and we would organize and we would interview also different charities from different parts of the country to let people know that they existed, that the, the things that they were doing. And uh, with that thing, we also realized that there were many charities around the country that actually were doing the same thing, but really didn't connect with each other because, you know, they were really sort of worried about funding and keeping their own funding. But in actual fact, it wasn't funding that would be necessary. It's sharing information much like Facebook does. So what we were doing was connecting those dots and letting other people around the country sort of figure out, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try that idea as well. So we would we highlight that. And we highlight a lot of kids who have done amazing things like, Swim Lake Ontario raised hundred thousand dollars for kids who, uh, that have slave labor. We've 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 done we've done all these types of uh, different um, um, organizations or highlighted them and kid heroes that we've dealt with who have done some great stuff. So that's kind of been very re- rewarding for me and for Ethan Detmer, who's my co-host on it. So it started with helping helping kids and then using your skills to help other charities succeed. Did I, did I get that? Yeah, they're all they're all based they're all based in kids charities mainly. I mean, obviously we you know as a mission statement, our mission is to the peace fund stands for peace stands for protect, educate, aid children every day. So everything from abuse to uh, welfare to foster care to anything like that, and all the charities in between, the hundreds of thousands of charities around the country and around the world that deal with those issues is who we were talking to. So our focus is always still children, but it's all based in what, you know, issues these kids are facing. That's awesome. To to really take that much of a vested interest into literally millions of strangers is truly a remarkable goal. And uh Goal's not the right word. Um, it's nice to see people do that. Well, let's put it this. I mean, you know, somebody's got to stand up and say something. So, you know, if, if you've got the ability or the or the, uh, the, or the the platform to do it, then you know, why not? Um, it, I think you see the thing is everybody basically has. We're all made up of the same things, right? We all have different senses that make us whole. We, we work on the physical, we work on the mental, we work on the sexual, we work on the, the spiritual, we work on all those things. We go to church, we, but sometimes we don't work, sometimes we don't work on one of those, those, those things that really allow us to function properly as a human. And so my portion of it is like, what do I, how do I help that portion of me while I'm making money, while I'm looking after my family, while I'm having fun or being entertained or while I'm learning something? Where's my spiritual side? Where's my, my benefactor side. So this helps me as well because the same thing I found in every single interview I've done, I've done hundreds uh, of interviews with people, it's people that 
go into something thinking, I'm just going to do this because I'm going to volunteer to do this. And then all of a sudden they realize they're not helping other people, they're helping themselves because they get a lot out of helping somebody else. There's an amazing uh, connection to being able to help somebody that makes you feel good yourself having done a charitable or a good deed for someone. So it really does help you on your own. And a lot of people that I've interviewed have said, oh, I came on as a volunteer. I'm now the CEO of the company. I came on to do this. Now I'm the head liaison with all the other organizations we deal with. Or I came on as a as a, as a support member and I'm now um, uh, uh, head of their social media. Or So they, they come into these organizations thinking one thing and suddenly realize something else. Well, and that's great that you're, uh, you know, connecting with these other, let's say, like-minded individuals who, you know, aren't just doing it for that quick feel-good moment, who really want to actually help and kind of make a difference in the world, and aren't just, oh, I'm helping somebody because it feels good right now, but rather... I'm helping somebody because that's who I want to be as a person. Yeah, I mean, the, th- the thing is, remember, this whole thing works in both areas. And that by that, I mean, for the philanthropists and the companies and the organizations that donate money because it's a tax write-off, it helps the people that do those things. Even if it's a tax write-off and they're not doing it, they're still helping somebody else. And, you know, that helps those people that are on the ground who don't, earn a lot of money but do help so it all the whole function the whole system the whole wheel actually feeds each other and so you can't um you know just say well you only did it to to, to get a tax shelter well it doesn't matter you still help somebody it's the way i look at it you know somebody put in you know ten thousand dollars into something because they had an extra or something and they didn't want to give it to the tax member they'd rather give it as a tax shelter well great you know that's just helped another 1500 kids get an education for a year so, you know, to me, it's it really, I mean, money's really tough to get for a lot of organizations who are looking for it. But, you know, so I, I never sort of look a gift horse in the mouth and say, well, this this was somebody that did this. Well, great. You know, your organization helped us. You know, it might not be helping us in the way we look at it, but, you know, it did help. Speaking of gift horses, um, how can people go about donating to the Peace Fund and things and, you know, helping further the charity along well currently we're we're about we're, we're actually looking at bringing our um school makes a difference uh program which is actually uh the new program was one of the programs we use in the school makes a difference it's called kids read to lead and um it's it, well we weren't about to launch it last year taking celebrities into different schools but we might actually do it on a an online platform instead right now we're looking into that um uh, as well as the radio show those, those are the things we're funding at the moment but that, that would be through the Peace Fund site, which is peacefund.org. And uh, you can find all the information there and all the stuff that we've done uh, on that site. And, of course, we have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. There's all that. It's the Peace Fund. Awesome. You'll definitely get my donation. <laughs> Thank you. Let's uh, shift gears again. And I, I guess it's not too far shifting gears. Let's talk about the Hollywood Experience, your newest podcast. I am. Uh... Was that born of uh, COVID or? Yes, it, it came out of the sword experience. Now, the sword experience I mentioned earlier, and you did as well. Um, sword experience is a company I started back in 2016, uh, really to 
I saw that the interest that there was in swords and action in the movies in different fan conventions and different uh, uh, from different people all over. And people have asked me so many times, can you teach me a sword? Can you set out a video? Can you? And I never really had the time or the inclination to do it. But then I realized how many different things there were now uh, doing that. So I created the sword experience, which was take people to different locations and teach them a sword fight from a film that they'd seen in the movies and get the photos of that day and get a, a video cut of them performing it, which then led us to castles and vineyards and exotic locations. In We've been to nine different countries now across the world, and um, I've done events in England, Ireland, France. I've done retreats. I've done uh, academy events now that we have. Uh, we've got all these things going on. And at one point, you know, obviously the um, pandemic changed the, the the playing ground for or the ground for us to work. So we wanted to be able to, and I always wanted to do this, was to connect our people online. But obviously, the, with the pandemic, it forced our hand to create a platform to do that. And that's what we did. We created a, a, a Patreon platform, which gave us um, the ability to connect with people at different levels. So depending on the subscription level, they would get a the various things from it, uh, all the way up to training uh, videos once a week. The Hollywood experience uh, came out of that, which we were offering for free. Uh, and now we do it virtually every week. We were doing it uh, once every uh, every two weeks. But it, what the Hollywood experience is, it's talking to different actors, to different celebrities, um, uh, stuntmen, choreographers, etc. All these people that deal with action. What's their story behind some of the things things you've seen in the film? Uh, we've had people that have done major A movies and uh, stunt people and choreographers. The old stories are different, but similar about what's their experience in the movies. And so that's what the Hollywood experience has come with. And I think we've done, I don't know how many shows we've done now, but we've been running every year. You know, we've done you know, a, a sort of, for the whole year, and I can't remember how many shows we've done, but we've interviewed some interesting people, and we continue to do so. So, you know, it's it's been a fun experience. It's an hour podcast. I interview people for about 40 minutes, 35 minutes. And then we do a, a wrap-up as to what's going on elsewhere in the movies and in the sword experience. It's interesting. We have similar shows. You just have a better Rolodex. Oh, I don't know. Six <laughs> <laughs> degrees of separation to everybody, you know. But yeah, I mean, you know, as, as I mentioned before we started recording, I randomly discovered it. And I think the first one I caught was the uh, Elizabeth Grayson episode. Oh, right. And yeah, it's... It's a very laid back show where you're right. You're just, you know, talking about, like you said, the experiences they've had in Hollywood and on set. And you get those stories that listeners don't get unless you were there. And I think that's what makes these, you know, that's what makes podcasts like yours and mine and others like ours really interesting because you get those stories from the people that you don't get to hear otherwise. It's just a different perspective. I mean, because obviously you're going to see a movie comes out, you're going to see all the glitz and glamour and all that stuff. But you don't see what how it was made. You know, who was behind it, what accidents happened, what uh, tantrums were on set. You know, those types of things. Um, all those different. You know, and and we've had a few great stories from different people. You know, we've had some interesting little uh, story from. Anthony Delongis, who uh, taught uh, Michelle Pfeiffer the the, the whip in, in Catwoman, 
to, um, you know, all these various stunt coordinators and martial arts teachers and, and uh, actors who have been on sets from Kelly Hu to Yancy Arias, who was on um, Queen of the South. Um, you know, so we've had a, a, a variety of people, and it's all their kind of experience as to what they've been going, going through. And I always find it interesting because you don't really know the truth. Oh, yeah, and it's as a fan of everybody you just listed, you know, it, it's really great to hear the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, because like you said, when the movie comes out, you see the finished product. But then when you get to hear about everything that happened in the making of, and like, I use Lord of the Rings a lot as my example. You know, uh, when Viggo Mortensen broke his toe, mm -hmm. you know, and it just became part of the movie. You know, he's on set, he kicks a helmet, and he breaks his toe. And in the scene, that's in the movie it's he kicks the helmet he lets out a scream and you think it's because he's just upset no he lets out the scream because he just broke his toe all right it worked out beautifully for the movie it sucked to be him but you know th those are stories that are fun to get out but same thing same thing as harrison ford in raiders of the lost Ark, the famous scene where he has this massive guy coming he's in looking for the ark and he gets confronted by this massive guy in the middle of a crowd with two huge swords who swings these swords at them and he, he looks at the gun and goes, I oh, forget it, and just shoots him. Right? And that has been an iconic thing. Everybody's loved that that moment. And yet the moment came out the real fact that Carrison couldn't do this there was a, a sword fight that was already set up for that. But in fact he got food poisoning the night before and he says, you know what? I should just shoot him. And that's how it came out. And it was an accident. So, you know, those stories are great to hear. Oh, yeah, the happy accidents that become these iconic scenes. Right, right. Now, the sword experience, you know, because I've been to a couple conventions where you've held it at, and unfortunately, I haven't gotten a chance to partake in it yet. I, I will say, from what I've seen from the people coming out of it, everybody leaves exceptionally happy. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because now I know people who don't necessarily mess around with swords that much, but would take the class just to learn from the Highlander, you know, or from a celebrity or, you know, so, I mean, there's many factions to why this is successful. Did you think it was going to be as successful as it is? <laughs> the reason it's successful um, is because, there's two factors I think people want. They they don't. Want, you know, if you want to go and learn sword, if you want to go and learn martial arts, you go to uh, your local dojo and you you learn the form and you do all that stuff. It's not that we're not teaching the proper technique and proper handling. It's just that I want people to have fun doing it and get interested in perhaps picking up the sword or or, or starting a martial art routine. So my job is to introduce people to the the local talent that I bring in to the, the people that assist me in different sword experience events so that if they're interested in possibly picking up, uh, they can continue doing it with, with a local teacher. Um, I do my own um, online courses as well now, but the fact is, you know, the sword is not just, this. people mistake the, the sword, it's a workout, it's a hell of a workout. I'm actually going to be bringing out fitness videos on it. I already have 
50 videos that we have on technique, which includes fitness, um, and how it helps with stretching, how it helps with movement, how it helps you to pick your kid up from the floor, or how it helps you to suddenly be able to continue walking. Because as you get older, things stiffen up. So you doing something that is mobile and fun, as well as the fact that it could help you in in a situation you might get yourself into. It is an all-encompassing thing. And, you know, I don't set these things in boring studios. You mentioned conventions. I'm, I do them in conventions, but I still have storylines, and it's filmed in a certain way. There's a bad guy or a bad side and a good side. But all the other places, which are the elite events we do, we have a different events. We have our convention events, and then our elite events are places where I take people to Ireland, to ca- a castle in Ireland, or a castle in Scotland, or England, or and we've done it in Chantilly in France. It's an amazing place. I've, I've done it on the on the beaches in in Belize because that was uh, teaching people about meditation, about uh, workout, about um, and then seeing the local culture, going to Mayan ruins, going. So it's a, it's an experience, and that's why it's called a sword experience because. I don't want it just to be a training tool. I want it to be an experience of everything. And we've got, we just launched our first virtual convention, uh, which we started in January. And we've got another one coming up. Just, we just pushed it to mid May now where I have about 12 different instructors, uh, from Mark Makita, who does Filipino martial arts, uh, Chad Hawthorne. This, the next one is called Lights, Camera, Action because it's all based about uh, swords and action in movies. So I had a guy called Chad Hawthorne who deals with weapons ha- and how to handle them on set. So he will teach you on on the, the convention about all these things, and then you can ask questions. Then I have, as I said, Mark Makita, who's Filipino martial arts, who will help you uh, teach you a, a disarm technique. And then there's I've got uh, Ron Harding, who actually makes weapons, who's been on the Forge, Forge with Fire. Um, I've got an, a gentleman called Richard uh, from, um, he's one of my instructors from Lakeland, Florida, who is helping me on, or we're working together on creating a Star Wars fan based uh, academy, which we are, will be launching in the next couple of months on the Sword Experience. It's going to be called, um, uh, is it, is it, I'm not, I'll, I'll hold the name off for now, but. He'll be on there teaching different things to, to help you become a Jedi Knight. So it helps the Star Wars angle of it. I've got so many different people coming. I've got celebrities coming on. I've got uh, several celebrities now, and we're, we're adding more. And then we've got um, vendors, like uh, different things like CBD oils from uh, jerky to lightsabers to uh, sword manufacturers to all these people coming on to one platform so that, you know, you don't have to leave your home, but you've got an interesting platform rather than just listening to somebody give you a, a, a Zoom call, but you're learning something and you can participate in it as well. It's a slightly different format. So we're launching that one in May, and then we have another one. That one's called Light Cam- Lights, Camera, Action. And then we have The Gathering, which is a Highlander-based one, which will probably be in June, I would say, end of June, beginning of July. So, you know, it's really kind of expanded us uh, this year, and uh, I'm launching all my live events as well at the same time. To piggyback on that, how does one go about being a vendor at one of those? Well, you just, um, uh, I'm looking at vendors because um, if, 
uh, you just have to contact us. We've got vendors at swordxp.com. Um, if you email that uh, that number and say you're interested, then we just uh, look at the uh, the what the, the vendor is selling. And we don't. The thing about us is we don't. Uh, well, we can discuss the, the business side of it, but it's not. It's a very easy platform to be on. Unlike um, uh, convention platforms, we don't charge vendors anything to be on it. So you can sell anything from jewelry to uh, food to whatever it is you want to sell, uh, based on whatever it is, you know, whatever convention we're going to, if that, uh, is a good genre for you. And, uh, we'll look at it and, you know, uh, it's just, it's a fairly simple process that we've created because I'm, I'm planning on having the sword experience be a hub for the vendors, uh, across the nation, really, um, where, their, their items will not only stay on for the duration of the con, but they'll be on there. So if anybody else comes onto our site, those vendors' uh, items will still be there and be uh, able to be sold on our site after the event uh, for however long they want to keep them on there. That's awesome. I mean, it it definitely sounds like a really cool way for like anyone who's interested in becoming a convention vendor but doesn't necessarily want to take that dive yet it's it's a way to like dip their toe in the water even still you know the thing is is that um as long as we can get the the numbers which i'm hoping to get the fact is is you don't have hotel fees you don't have vendor fees you don't have uh flights you don't have any of that travel stuff you're just doing it from your store or your your place of business uh like you would at a convention, but you're not traveling. You're not spending all that money to do it. So it makes a lot more sense to have vendors all in one place to be able to, to do that. And that way, you know, if, if people are interested in, in buying that stuff, then then there's no cost to the vendor, per se. So the, the overhead would definitely be lower. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're talking, you know, for a vendor to go to a convention, you know, they're, they're spending at least a grand. I mean, it's been two days at any convention. You've got a very booth space. You've got uh, travel fees. You've got to uh, take all your stuff, box your stuff up, put it on a, in a trailer or take it in your car or truck, uh, deliver it to where you've got it, unpack it. Do it. You don't have to do any of that. That's a really cool idea. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how successful it gets. <laughs> well, I mean, even if it doesn't pan out, it's a really cool idea. Right. I mean, the, the problem is right now people are kind of sick of being uh, on uh, in Zoom. They want to get out. They want to be out. I mean, you look at all the states that opened up now, the restaurants are full. People are like, I want to go out. I want to be social. And that brings it back to what we were talking about at the beginning, about how human beings need to be social. And therefore, being out and being at an event is very important for a lot of people. And it, it takes you away from just sitting in front of a screen. However, I don't think those two things are, are necessarily that far apart because I still think there's value in not having to travel or spend money if you had to do one or two of those things uh, a year and go on those types of events as well as do your regular uh, convention events and not have to spend all that money doing it then wouldn't that be cool you know wouldn't it be great if a lot of the time for instance people say to me oh I couldn't get to your sword experience event when are you coming to this city well I might not ever come there you know if you want to try and do something we're online as well we can actually do it live online. You can talk to the celebrity. You can get any of the items that the celebrity signed autographs from those celebrities. So you can see them sign it. It's the same thing. The only thing is you won't be there personally to meet them, but you'll still be in front of them on a on a one-to-one. 
So there's a there is a benefit to it. I say you'll still have the fate, you know, you still have that face-to-face experience. You just won't have that physical contact. Yes, that's the only thing that will be missing. Now, I noticed in previous interviews you've done that your like preferred sword is a katana. Yes and no. Yeah, I mean, the katana is a, a, a good weapon. It's uh, one I'm used to, um, but I do use others. I, just, I don't use the larger, you know, like uh, um, long swords or broad swords. I'm not, that's not my weapon. But um, so I, I, I like Chinese weapons. I like I like the katana. Uh, I, li- I like the foil. I like the saber. Um, so different ones I like. But yes, katana is the one I use the most. Is it because of the like fluid, almost full body movement that goes with it, or is it just the way it feels in the hand? Well, it it, it has a balance. Is pretty good. It's, it obviously was something I've worked with for many many years, and. Um, there is a, a a flow to it that I actually like, um, given the way that it's structured. The suba doesn't get in the way for certain positions. Um, it's very sharp when you're actually dealing with a real weapon. So the cutting ability is is, is quick. And, and so I just, I guess I like how it is. I mean, our, whenever I do a sword experience, we deal with bokens, which are the replicas of the woodwork replicas, and some of those are ex- extremely uh, useful. And people say to me, "Oh, it's not a, it's not a steel weapon." I said, "Yeah, but I can still kill you with it. You know, a wooden piece of uh, can still do a lot of damage." And um, I don't necessarily want to be. Uh, and there's a famous story of a one of the most famous swordsmen in history called um, Miyamoto Musashi. Miyamoto Musashi was uh, one a legend in Japan for those people that don't know. Back in the 1500s, he was like 14 years old when he killed his first man, um, and then ended up. Uh, I'll save the story short, but he ended up after age 50. He killed like 50 something. He'd been in 50 battles, and the last man he ever killed was a samurai warrior who. Again, it challenged him, or he wanted. No, he wanted to challenge because he was not. The, the class system in Japan at the time basically um, did not allow him to fight this one. They thought he was, he was below grade type of thing. Eventually, because of all his successes, they eventually uh, granted him the the fight with this one uh, famous samurai who was known to have a very long sword, longer than normal. Um, because samurai weapons vary in, in size. So the one thing that Musashi did was, what he did to his first official fight, was he turned up four hours late, knowing it was an insult, knowing that that would put the guy off his stride, because obviously when you prepare for something, you're preparing for that moment, and then when that moment goes, and then it goes again, and you're waiting and waiting, and the guy didn't turn up, it puts you off balance. That was the first thing he did. The second thing he did was when he rode to the island where he was meeting this guy, he stepped off the boat with a with a, a wooden sword fashioned out of an oar. So not adding insult to injury of being late, he also said, I'm not going to fight you with a, with a metal weapon. I'm going to fight you with this piece of stick. And what he did was, smartly, he created this weapon being about an inch or so longer than his opponent's weapon. And by that, he used his distance to get into the first strike and eventually killed the man with the weapon and said he would never use a steel weapon ever again. 
So wooden weapons are not necessarily tame, should we say. I've been cracked in the head with a boken. And yeah. it's not like, you know, oh, it's just a piece. Of, no, those hurt. So much respect for training with the boken and everything that goes into it. I fully believe you could take somebody out with one of those. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you could break bones with it. You know, you could you could kill. I mean, remember, the human body has sockets, eyes, ears, nose, throat. You crush your point anything in those points, you will kill somebody with it. So don't think it's not, uh, it, it's just a piece of wood. You know, anybody with a piece of wood, just, I mean, prime piece of wood is a baseball bat. You want to put somebody hit somebody over the head with a baseball bat? You definitely would do them a lot of da- damage. Exactly. Vulcan's no different. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, what did you say the title is next? Lights, camera, action. Lights, camera, action. Yeah, yeah. It'll be on May 15th. I think we've we've scheduled it as we're just uh, changing stuff now. And we're we were just about starting all our marketing on it as well. So it it's we did our first one. Our first one went off very well. I mean, we were looking at the technical. Uh, difficulties that you'd have uh, for our first one we only invited 50 people to it and catch uh, that um and we had at that point we had i think seven or eight instructors uh some of the same ones are coming back we have some new ones coming this time as well but they'll all be teaching different things this time it's all really geared to you know um how the differences between weapons and film how things are made how how um a gun goes off how a a weapon is treated, how do you disarm somebody? And so you can actually learn things in the course as well, rather than just being spoken to on a Vim- on a uh, Zoom call, for instance. It's a little bit different. So it's it's definitely a more interactive rather than a lecture. Yes, absolutely. Much more, much more so. I mean, you know, we, we my last one, for me, for instance, I started teaching the, the sword experience numbering system. Um, so you could follow along at home uh, with whatever you wanted to follow along with. Um, you know, we, we have a, another guy, Keith Jennings, out of Chicago who teaches knife technique. And so he'll teach you different knife techniques. So you can actually do them yourself in the comfort of your own home, um, you know, and work with those techniques. That's great. I mean, at this point, there's, you know, if if you wanted to get into, you know, sword technique and knife technique, at this point, there is no reason to not learn it. I mean, you are now offering these lessons in home. So, exactly. you know, you, you've now taken away the, oh, I don't know where to go. Where do you go? Swordexperience.com. Well, that's, that's the goal eventually is, is to really link us up with a lot of, of our studios and partners across the country so that, you know, there are so many different techniques. That's why, like, the Sword Experience is teaching you, giving you an experience of the sword. If you want to say, you know what, I really like that Viking sword that they use. Let me learn the Viking uh, sword and shield. Well, here's some people that you can go to. So look at that. Um, that's our eventual goal. And, you know, the HEMA people, historical European martial arts, people who actually go there and, and, and um, utilize it for their own non-choreographed uh, events. That we have a lot of HEMA people coming to us because, you know, that's another another form. There's there's longsword, broadsword, uh, Chinese, Filipino. I mean, the the list is endless. That eventually we want to get into to be able to sort of offer people and say, yeah, go to this instructor, go to that instructor. The sword experience will bring you the experience and bring you the 
the fun part of it as well. But if you really want to learn it, then you can go over this place. See, I personally have always been an axe guy. Well, there you go. So, I mean, you know, uh, axes are great. I mean, I, I, um, you know, the, there's axe throwing places. It'll be, you know, uh, I'm looking to eventually incorporate all these instructors and all these vendors that come in so that there's literally, we are a marketplace for different um, sword and, and, and weapons and martial arts and aficionados. Well, I, I look forward to the expansion of the sword experience and seeing where this grows. Yeah, it'll take it'll take some time to do something. But, oh, of you know, course. You know, it's, it's like everything. It takes five years just for you to get your, your feet on the ground, pretty much. Um, we, we have a pretty good basis now. So um, we're just exploring and, you know, having fun doing it. So, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just carry on until, you know, we can't anymore. Well, and then, you know, once <laughs> word gets out more and interest, you know, gets built up and... You, you you get that word of mouth out, then you got to beat people away with a stick. So the other thing is, there's so many different interests. Like I said, we have our, uh, our um, it's called Verte uh, Veritas Institute, VVVI uh, Institute. It's it's uh, basically the uh, Life Force Institute, which is uh, a um, a fan version of of, of a Star Wars uh, Institute, which is actually a program run in the Polytechnic of Southern University. Southern Florida University at present, um, which is um, based in three forms. One is the philosophical side of being a Jedi Knight. One is the open hand forms of being a Jedi Knight. And the other one is the the saber form uh, uh, of being a Jedi. And it is literally a, a, a system, a class system based in real martial arts in how to uh, go through this system. So we are promoting this uh, at one of our next events and then we will be uh, taking it into uh, different universities for as a curriculum because it is actually a curriculum uh, that will be used for different people because everybody likes different things so that is something for a lot of Star Wars fans and that's still a sort doesn't matter whether you look at it it's still a sort so you know our interest is in anything that that swings or <laughs> or uh, is in the movies in that respect that's so cool let's talk highlander a little bit what went through your head when you first got the role of duncan mcleod um i got a job that's <laughs> <laughs> in my head um you know i mean it was uh it was very exciting at the time you know because i i waited um Three months was going on for this particular casting from my first initial meeting to um, doing a, a screen test, sorry, doing a, 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 a um, an audition and then a screen test and then waiting another, I think it was like three weeks after that. Usually they'll know within days which is it going to be. But my, my agent had told me that um, he was going on vacation because he was pretty certain it was now gone, gone to the other guy that they were choosing, because it was between me and another guy that they turned it down to. And uh, he went on vacation, and then suddenly I got a call on my answer machine saying I got it from his assistant, and that was it. And I was leaving in three days. <laughs> so, That's crazy. So, yeah, it happens like that. Things happen out of the blues. Things can change on a dime in our industry. That's what's really interesting about it. Well, and with this role, I mean, you... Okay, you get the call saying you have a job, and then you run the series. What what were your emotion levels like when the series wrapped? Oh, you mean at the end? At, yeah, end of the series, you think Duncan McLeod's done before any of the movies are announced. 
Well, you know, I'll be honest. I was the one that said, you know, it's time for me to move on. In sixth season, I was like, okay, it's, it's kind of done now because you can't start re. Whenever you have anything, I, I, I was, I always wanted to go out on a high rather than on the. Okay, it's now getting, it's, it's now losing its luster. You know, I didn't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So, I was ready to move on. Uh, it was, it was a mixed emotion because it was something I really liked. I, I, I learned a lot from it. I made some great friends from it that I still keep to this day. Um, you know, and I learned how to direct. I learned how to do a lot more martial arts than I'd ever thought I was going to be able to do. You know, so I, I learned a lot of things as an actor, as a human being. So it was a, it was a mixed kind of bag for me when I left the show. And then you get, Highlander Endgame. Mm-hmm. So you're back in the role, <laughs> this time on the big screen. And then there's was was it two more movies after that? No, one more. The Source. That's right. And that's the last I did was 2006. They've been threatening to do another one ever since. <laughs> but um, they're trying to remake the uh, the original version, which you know I keep hearing is going to happen, but um, it's not happened yet. I don't know what's going to be happening with it, but. Uh, you know the the, the um, sorry Endgame was Endgame was fun because uh, you know Christoph Lambert and myself worked on the first episode of the series and we a couple of times and we always got on really great and we got on by the time I I, I went on to do Endgame my martial arts ability had grown I mean we're talking what twelve years you know at that point uh, from when I first um, started doing Highlander and um, I studied over and over and over and over again, you know, at that point. So I was, my ability had gotten so much greater than we had at the beginning. So it was, it was very strange because now I was kind of more experienced to a degree with the sword than Christoph was. And, uh, but the fun we had was a whole different thing. I mean, that was really, um, uh, it was always fun to do work with Chris. And, you know, I, I've always, I, I have great memories of working together with him. Well, and, I got to meet you guys at a convention in Utah a few years ago, and you two have really nice natural chemistry together. You know, <laughs> you just get along really like like brothers. To see to see that in real life, and then you know your you know kinsmen on the show, it, it you play off of each other very well. Yeah, I think we're still we're kids, you know. <laughs> so I think um, we we like having fun, and I think that's that's what we share the, the ability to have fun. So you know we've we've been we've been lucky in that in that respect. Given the time that has passed, would you revisit the role if if the script was right? If you know if, if everything lined up right, and it wasn't just hey we want to bring Duncan McLeod back. Would you consider revisiting the role? Yeah, I'd consider revisiting him. I and, mean, you know, I don't think you can ever shut the door. Um, it really it will depend. I mean, obviously, I'm a lot older now than I was in 1990. <laughs> I mean, that was, what, 1990s, what, like 30 years ago? You know, so it does change things a little bit, especially being immortal. But um, there's always a storyline that can change things. But, yeah, I'd, I'd visit it. You know, it, uh, it, it, it would depend on... on what the story is about, you know, so we'll see. There was something I noticed and I wanted to ask you about. I wasn't sure if it was the, if it was meant to be written this way or if it was just kind of a happy accident. Your character had a overall story arc through the first four seasons that 
kind of had him on this like that that ride of depression from when the Darius character died and it didn't really change until after the dark uh quickening and it, it was interesting so, as somebody who's you know ridden the depression wave it was interesting to see you know you had the, the character had his highs his lows where you know he's losing his friends he's you know he's pushing everybody away and but then he's back to being that happy go lucky guy and then he's the, the somber kind of just brooding guy was that like overall planned or did it just kind of happen that way um no i don't think it was overall planned i think it just kind of happened in that way i mean you know we we what we did a lot of from the very first season was create a timeline which um showed what mcleod was like in different portions and i said to him you know if we do flashbacks later on i need to know what the dress is like what the mood of that character is like because us in regular life, you know, we, we we switch our attitudes dependent on our environment a lot of the time every few years. Imagine this guy's been for 400 years, the things that he's been affected by and how his moods and swings and ideas have changed. So at some point he is uh, the happy-go-lucky guy that just wants to jump around Europe and meet a lot of women, get drunk and do all that stuff. And then he fights for justice and then he doesn't want to fight for justice. He wants to hide away somewhere. So it all kind of came out in as we developed it, you know, those periods of time where his character was a little different. In today's world, he was a little bit more austere to start with and then became a little bit more um, looser, I'd say, towards season three and four. Um but you know there was always a steadfast thing that you know you don't cross McLeod, you don't you don't um he was a man of honor and that was one thing that would never change uh and a man of his word which was another whether it was i'll kill you or i'll let you go he would always do say what he did unless of extraneous strenuous circumstances so the true character was the line was still there but it would alter slightly depending on who he would be coming across he definitely had that uh man of his word vibe and like you said it didn't matter if it was you know all right i'll let you live or you know if, if he told somebody i'm i'm coming after you what he's you know his his word was his bond right right which was all due to not only you know the playing of it, it was also david abramowitz the the uh showrunner who you know instilled that in the character as well oh yeah and Honestly, in it is funny, in the six seasons, I think some of the best episodes were ones with Elizabeth Grayson as your uh, guest star. Because yeah. I'm not sure what your real life chemistry is like, but your on screen chemistry, your characters had this like yin and yang vibe to it, where, you know, she was. You know, Amanda had that very much lighthearted, fun, I'm going to do everything I can to live life to its fullest. And Duncan was more of the grounding rod. And you needed the best of each other to make things happen. And it was always fun to see each character pull from the other one. I think the, the, the fun of the, the relationship was she was the girl who always got him into trouble. And he was always trying to get out of it. Or she got getting her out of trouble. And to, to him... Uh, that was always fun. 
And to me, that was fun playing. Lizzie and I are still friends to this day. You know, our kids uh, know each other. You know, I've known Lizzie forever, and she come. She's she was at my last Burkcon. She's going to be at the Highlander Con that we're going to have in June. Um, so you know, I know her very well, and yes, um, I love Lizzie. She's an awesome lady, and uh, we we have a kind of there is a similar character. You you can't take the the person out of the character. There's always part of that person is in that character. So. Uh, we do have a slightly different way of things. I'm more, you know, uh, go against you, more kind of laid back and, oh, I've got to get this done. Slightly different type of uh, personality. And then the biggest question I've had for years was how long did you spend with a dialect coach on Highlander? Not a huge amount. I, I did some. I mean, I, I spent a lot of dialect coach over the years. I've done a lot of dialect coaching over the years. So um, you know, a lot of the stuff came naturally because of being English. The Irish Scottish came naturally. So, but uh, you know, having to sort of adjust it was the tough part because uh, the producers were always scared the audience wouldn't understand some of the Scottish flashbacks. But um, you know, we were testing things in the first season, and I think the only real error we made was when um, and I because I, I also do you know, when I was talking about Patreon earlier, I do a. Uh, behind the scenes look at each of the episodes now and I'm on to the fir- middle of the first season at the moment and, and I noticed in the beginning of it which was called Sea Witch was when I, McLeod was in Russia I put on a Russian accent and I was like no McLeod wouldn't have a Russian accent so that was possibly a mistake on my part and on our part to actually have that Russian accent in there because he wouldn't have a Russian accent he'd have almost Scottish or Englishified Russian accent it wouldn't, it wouldn't go so but we would try things, and that's you know where the dialect, um, and then it stayed pretty much the same all the way through. Before we wrap this up, where can listeners keep up to date with like sword experience stuff, your podcasts, basically everything that they need to know and more about you? Well, we've got you know I have swordxp.com is the sword experience. We have our YouTube page, which is the sword experience, our Hollywood experience, which is on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and on all different platforms as well. It's on a bunch of different platforms. Um, then there's the uh, Peace Fun Podcast. You can find that if you put Peace Fun Podcast. That'll come up immediately. So there's a lot of places and all the contact information is on, on, those, uh, on those platforms. It's awesome. And listeners, like always, the links to everything will be in the episode description for easy access. And you could find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at the handle Moose Media Inc. Adrian, it has been a blast chatting with you and learning about a lot today, actually. There's so much I didn't know. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. I look forward to uh, talking to you again. And as usual, Moosepack, a lot of good podcasts out there. Unless you heard it here, it's probably just a load of bull spit. Till next time, take it easy. Ooh-wee, that sure was some bull spit, but I sure had fun. Junior, you need some help. Be sure to tune in next time. 